bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop. I have a special guest with me today, Kyle Grossinger. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thank you for having me. One Broken Life is a production of Freeway Ministries. Um, you hear all the time about how uh, negative impact of drugs and crime and have, have made on our communities, but what you don't hear about is the positive impact one radically changed. I'm not going to say drug addict, but ex-drug addict or ex-criminal uh, makes on our community once Christ gets a hold of their lives. And I believe personally that the bigger the mess, many times the bigger the message. Uh, and so our one of our verses that we use here is Psalms 51, 17. And it's uh, the sacrifice of God, our broken heart and a contrite spirit. Uh, it says that a broken and contrite spirit, that God, God will not despise. Uh, and so we get to get into the lives of people who have come through, many of them our ministry and just some from other places where God has brought them to that broken place. And then God uses that broken place and that broken place and that, that past of their past life to, to move them forward in such a mighty way. And this is part two of your story, Kyle. Um, so we explored the BC side of your life uh, last time, you know, where you were, how you, what your addiction had done in your life and where you where your dark moments and, uh, the tragedy of, you know, the things that you've been through and stuff and the pressure on your family from your addiction. Right. Um, and so, and now we're going to explore more of the, the, uh, the after, uh, you got saved side, you know, the better part, the better part. Yeah. And so we're going to look through, uh, your life, someone who was an IV drug user, yep. someone who could not, um, stay off drugs from middle school age to your 36, yeah. 36 years old, uh, broken homes. Uh, you, you know, you have a, you have children. Yep. Uh, and so that, you know, your, your dad and your mom was always waiting for the phone call of, you know, when is he going to die? You're like, we're going to get a, the detectives to be at my house, knock on the door, or police calling me saying, we found your son dead. Yep. And now, uh, they don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah, praise God. Which is exciting. And so your first place in church, kind of take off where we let, start where we left off, your first place in church, serving in church, part of what we do at Freeway is, uh, I believe it's the heartbeat of Jesus, uh, evangelism, missions, and discipleship. Mm -hmm. That's our heartbeat. We we evangelize, we disciple, and we send people out. Yeah. That's that's what we do. Uh 
part of the one of the things that we say is reaching one broken life at a time. Yeah. But the gospel of Jesus Christ reaching the hard to reach one bro- broken life at a time, and so uh, you were a hard to reach person. Yeah. And, and so God seen fit to reach you in a jail cell, uh, get get you information about freeway, uh, got a hold of us, and then you got dropped off at our front porch. Yeah. On steak night. On steak night. Praise the Lord. Amen. And then uh, you love food. Yeah. Okay, good. And you yeah, love dogs. Um, you love yeah, puppies. I love dogs. Yeah. Yeah, I want to. Can, can I clear that up? <laughs> can we take So on the last one, I said something about holding a dog. And so my parents' dogs are itty-bitty, and they run out to use the restroom for like two seconds. So I would never squeeze a dog. I've never held a dog out a window. I love dogs. I can't believe you said that. I can't either. Okay. I can't take it Your back. Your mom and dad are going to really think about not letting you house it again once prob- they hear prob- that. Probably not. Or getting bigger dogs. Yeah. It's toothpaste. It's not coming back. So. Okay. Well, anyway. So. so here we are. So you come to the men's home, uh, the discipleship house. You're in Marsh. You were in Marshfield. Yeah. So we, evangelism, missions, and discipleship. Or actually, evangelism, discipleship, and missions it would be the proper order. Um, and so you come into this environment of discipleship, like learning how to structure your life, learning how to live your life, learning how to follow not just a, a, a lifestyle of, you know, being sober. Yeah. It's not just being sober at the discipleship house. It's following, being an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. Yes. And so we still have your file. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should have I should have had it in here with me today, but yeah, it's a thick stack of dis- discipline forms. Yep. Of your behavior. One of the things that we do is we correct behavior. Yeah. And we address negative behavior, and uh, you get assignments and stuff like that. Have you ever had an assignment? I've had my fair share. Yeah, I've had quite a few. So let's talk about uh, you, you. You go into the men's home. You enter in. Tell us about your first 24 hours there. So I, I pretty much like laid in bed. I was so used to being in a cell. I didn't know if there was free movement. I didn't know if I could use the bathroom. I didn't, I didn't know where I was at. I, I think agoraphobic is a word with wide open spaces. And so I was so used to being in a seven by nine for 17 plus hours of the day that being in that big of a house, um, was unsettling for a bit. Uh, so yeah, that that first twenty four hours was very uncomfortable. I wasn't used to it. So then, uh, let's let's talk through learning the structure of the home. Yeah. Okay. So I'll just kind of run our listeners through um, kind of a week in the home. So here's a week with Freeway Ministries, and I'm going to give the Springfield version. Yours is pretty close. Yeah. So Monday night we have class. Yep. Tuesday night you're off. Maybe. Maybe if you don't have something to do. Yeah. Wednesday night, you have church. Thursday night, we have the season classes, which is a, a four 13-week classes in Springfield. We have dinner at 6, and then we have class at 7, and we teach. I believe it's intense discipleship. It's yeah. just basically learning how to live your life, stewardship, guilt, uh, overcome, uh, overcoming the past. Um, and then you have relationship classes, marriage, parenting, and dating, according. And then you have your last 13 weeks, which is exit strategy right yeah so you're here on thursday nights and then in springfield friday nights they go to freeway uh and then uh friday you guys have a men's men's group out there so they either go to golden avenue freeway 
or they go to life recovery. Life recovery. <clears throat> and then Sunday morning, Sunday night, you have church. Yeah. So those are the evenings. Uh, and then so you got to get up in the morning. Yep. What do you do in the morning? So you get you for first thing you do is pray and read your Bible, and then you better journal. Yeah, you yeah. better journal. Yep. So you 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 get, you hit, you're supposed to journal. Yeah, you have to journal every morning for all 365 days you're there. So you you have to journal or you get to journal. You get to journal. I'm sorry. There you, you get go. to you get to journal. Good. Yeah, my my apologies. So you're journaling. So you you, you get up. You're let's talk about this for a minute. You just come out of jail. You have a conversion experience. Yeah. You enter in the men's home. And uh, what's that first week like? So the first week I'm on fire. I'm ready to do anything you ask me to. Journaling. I'm reading my Bible. I'm, I wasn't able to work at first. We had to go through a few more hoops court-wise. But, yeah, I'm on fire that first week. You know, you could you could ask me to do anything and I would have done it. Okay. Yeah. What about the second week? Uh, so second week – starting to wear down a little bit, getting a, getting accustomed to things. And then the third week is where I think I finally get a job. So we had to, we had to get that approved through court to get me to work. Cause I had a, a GPS monitor on third week. I go into this very secular job. It's very hard, but I was on fire to work. You know, I was trying to work for the Lord. I was scraping every propane tank for Jesus. Amen. So I thought, yeah. So, so let, let's talk about this for a minute. Yeah. I just want to kind of get an idea because honestly, I'm encouraged uh, that someone who comes in and is such a knucklehead yeah. that can, through the discipline and the correction and the constant on your neck, hey, what we're we're gonna we're not letting you loose. We're not gonna give up on you. We're gonna continue to correct your behavior and continue to pour into you and continue to you know try to bring you out of that mentality. And now, you know, someone who honestly, me or Casey, thought you weren't going to make it. Yeah. And, uh, and you, you, you did great. I mean, you came to the position of being a house leader. Yeah. Right? And so tell us just briefly about that. Like, you're a problem child in the house, right? You keep getting in trouble, keep getting corrected, keep having disciplines. Uh, and, then, and then you become the house leader, like yeah. what, what happened? So first the, to address why I was in trouble so much is I thought because I'd had good jobs and my addiction had only been from 2017, the bad part of my addiction, right? The darkest part had only been from 2017. I had had cars, houses. I was a car sale. So in my head, I didn't need the little stuff, but I didn't know how to live a biblically based life. I knew how to live a worldly life. I knew how to make money. I knew how to, I just didn't know how to do it sober. So being addressed about not doing things biblically was tearing me apart. And, um, and I continued to bump heads. And so, yeah, I, and I've told the story before there's the point where I got sat down with you and Casey. I got, so if you're in the Marshfield house and you get called to crossway on a Sunday, you're in trouble. <laughs> You're a big troll because you don't go to Crossway. And so I get called down to Crossway. I get sat down with John and Casey and addressed about, um, you know, my my behavior. And I think I just lost my best friend, Adam, and spoke at his funeral. So I, my cellmate and my roommate had left the program and passed away. And so I spoke at his funeral. And I'm in this real bad place. I didn't see my kids for the holidays. And I, you know, I want everything right now because I'm an addict. You know, I want my friend back. I want my kids. So... 
I, I was in a point of brokenness of basically like crying in a shower and just telling God, I can't do it. Like, I'm really trying. Like, I really am. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to do everything I'm asked, and I'm still falling short. And that's where uh, things just started changing, you know. And it wasn't overnight. I'm not going to say all of a sudden it clicked and I was better. But I was understanding how to biblically apply those principles to my life. And I would not argue in the discipline meetings, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent. You're going to get in trouble at your work, and you're not going to do it, you know. And so I learned to just understand that I'm not sovereign, and I'm not in control, and that God was, and that it was okay to write a paper and and not feel justified about it because I didn't need to. So, yeah, about seven months in, I got, which it was a curveball for everybody in the house because I was the most disciplined guy. Uh, I get exalted into a house leader position, which, you know, the bonus thing was is I'd been in so many discipline meetings, I knew how to run them. So, yeah, you were great at you, you knew how it all went. Yeah. And also, also, you know, you can identify with someone who, who keeps getting in trouble. Yeah. You can say, hey, look, my, my discipline sh- folder is four inches thick. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I get that. Um, and so you, I don't, so people listening, it's going to sound funny. And let me just say, if you listen, you're listening, you didn't listen to the last episode, know that I love law enforcement, okay? So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you that before I say this. Uh, you are the police in the house. Yeah. And if you're from the hood, you say police. Yeah, po-po. Yeah, so <laughs> you, you, you uh, uh, and people that come from our background, and we could do a whole episode on this, uh, struggle really bad with authority issues. Absolutely. And so I've seen this a hundred million times, but, um, you know, you got a guy in the program and you're best buddies with them and, you, you know, you're their right-hand man and they're your right-hand man and, you know, they're your peanut, you're, they're peanut butter, your jelly. You guys are tight. And then all of a sudden, uh, one of you becomes a house leader and becomes the authority. And then all of a sudden, that person picks you apart. You're not, you're a bad person. You, you listen to that. There's all this stuff wrong with that person that's an authority. Well, it's not the person that they're having a problem with. It's the position of authority. And so you come to a place where you're bucking and then you submit and you you learn through discipline. Yeah. Because Proverbs 9 says, if you correct a wise person, they'll be even wiser. If you correct a fool, they'll hate you for it. And so the wise is wise because they're always learning and they're always growing and they're always, they can take instructions. And so you come to that place where you become, you go from the simple person to the wise person in the book of Proverbs. And then you get moved up to the position of house leader. Yeah. So what was that like, Kyle? As you're the house leader and you got all these guys under you, now you're the authority. How? How? What was that like? Well, the first few weeks, I think it's. I don't know if it's every every house leader, but they want to do thing. They want to be different than that house leader they had. You know, they want to be. They want to show more grace. They want to be more compassionate and. Um, and you quickly realize that, that that's not going to work. And it's not that there's not grace or compassion in the program. Um, what there is is a lot of guys trying to get over on you. And and that's not, you know, you've got, like John talked about, we're in these classes to break this mentality of, of you know, a criminal mentality of how do we get things over. So, yeah, you change, and then every every little thing that hadn't came to surface that you did in the house comes to surface, they pull it all out on you. Every little thing you didn't get smoked for or caught uh, 
gets brought out. And so uh, your friends quickly turn against you or you get the buddy hustlers. I had a, had one particular one of those. I still have that same buddy hustler. I love them. But yeah, so you've, you've, the biggest thing as a house leader is you learn guys' personalities. And as you learn them, that's how you push them to be better. So as a house leader, it's not just your job to be the authority figure in the house. It's your job to grow them in Christ. And if you know some guys need a firmer discipline or some guys need more encouragement, you learn that in them. And we tell them all the time that you're not the rule enforcer, you're the spiritual example. Yeah. And uh, and that's what being a house leader is about. You're the pastor of the home. You do enforce rules, but that's not your primary role. Your primary role is to be the spiritual example. In our program, you can't talk to women. Yep. Uh, and so you shouldn't be talking to women. Right. Uh, you know, you, we do phone checks. Yep. And so you can't say, well, you know, you can't talk to women and, and you're doing, you're, you're talking, you know, you, you have to be that example to them. Yeah. And it's not because women are bad. It's because we don't want to have to sort through the criminal mentality, hustling that that's my cousin. That's my, you know, that we're just friends, all that. We don't know who is and who ain't. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I've been doing this 10 years and you're not going to figure it out. So we just say for a year, unless it's your baby's mom, your sister or your, your mother. Yeah. You don't talk to her. Yeah. Or, you know, and so, uh, and I'm going on a tangent here, getting off track, but, and so you're the house leader. You're, you're, you kind of get an idea of, okay, you know, now I, I understand what that person was going through. That was before me. And Absolutely. so you graduate the program. Yep. When did you graduate? So I, gr I graduated in October, 2020. Um, we didn't have a house leader at the time. So I stayed another two months. So we could train another house leader. So I graduated and stayed till the beginning of the year. And then you went in, went and moved out on your own. Yeah. So I moved right across the street from my, my home church, Crossbridge. Okay. I moved in with another graduate. Okay. And you live there today? I do. Yeah. I still live there. And how long have you been out of the program? So I've been out over a year. January 1st, 2021 was the day I left the house. So, so you're, you're out over, you're, you've been out over a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you graduated the program. Yep. So what's what's life like for you right now? It's m more than I ever imagined. Um, we've talked about it. When I got in the program, I just wanted to get sober. I thought maybe get sober and go to a church occasionally. So I went from a guy who'd never been to church in his adult life to a guy uh, who became, who God made a, a worship drummer, um, a guy who's teaching Sunday school, a guy who's now getting opportunities to preach. Um, and and started college at BBC yesterday. What's BBC? A Baptist Bible College. Okay, yeah. so so you're in, you're enrolled in Bible College. Yeah, yeah. We're we're we just got the our foot in the door yesterday. So, and and shout out to Baptist Bible College. Yeah, for that for the scholarship. Thank you guys. They have a freeway ministry scholarship uh, for three degrees, associate degrees, and it's a full ride scholarship to yeah. anyone that can come through our ministry and uh, apply through us. And they've done that. They graciously went above and beyond to help our people, which is amazing. Absolutely. And so you're going to start college. Um, so what's next for Kyle Grossinger? So my next step, <clears throat> Lord willing, is more more ministry. I can't exactly tell you what that's going to be. <clears throat> I went from, um, you know, teaching Sunday school until I've, I've preached 
couple times now. I've preached at Crossbridge on Saturday at Freeway Marshville, and I've preached at Golden Avenue on Friday. Um, and so, and I've preached at one other church too. Amen. Yeah. So I think more more preaching possibly. We're gonna, we're going to see what what God has in the plans for me, but. Uh, just remaining obedient. Wherever he calls me, I'm just going right now. So Kyle graduated the Timothy Project, which is our four-month internship program. Uh, the goal of the Timothy Project is to help equip men uh, to learn how to start and do freeways. Everything we know, we teach him. Uh, and you, you learn a lot of stuff just by being in the office. Absolutely. And so vetting inmates, uh, learning how to set boundaries with family members and <laughs> Just stuff like that, uh, sermon prep class, uh, outreach, and all that stuff. And so, uh, not every man that comes to the Timothy Project will be a freeway missionary. But when we we sold, we uh, we paid off our building, we committed to taking a chunk of the mortgage and supporting uh, men as they go start freeways all over, hopefully the world. Yeah. And so you're one of those guys. You feel like God's got your His hand on you. You feel called to ministry. Yeah. And so I'm I'm excited for your next step. I don't know what that's going to be like, but, uh, you know, God knows and you just be obedient. You're here today. Yeah. You know, on Tuesday, uh, still showing up to serve, which is amazing, which is cool. Uh, so, so we talked about what's next in your life, life, what, what you feel like God is calling you to. And you, your, your answer is ministry. Yeah. You feel like God is calling you into vocational ministry. Yes. And so, uh, so give us a week in your life. What's a week like? So uh, Monday, <clears throat> of course, Monday, this office is closed. And so then Tuesday, I'm here. And I still read my Bible every morning. I still pray every morning. And I go home, and I usually start to study or sermon prep. So my goal is to get some sermons prepared. So if I get called at any point in time, I've got sermons already ready to go. I just got to look over them and get it ready. So Wednesday, I'm here. Thursday I'm here, Friday I'm here. So I'm here every day. So we're we're uh, we're in the midst of, of of some job changing. We'll just kind of put it that way. So I'm here every day, and then I still go to service on Wednesday nights, Thursday nights. I'm still here at class, um, the seasons classes. Friday usually Golden Avenue, Saturday awesome. here serving. So so you're busy. Yeah, all the time. Did you ever think that uh, your life could be like it is right now? Absolutely not. No. I didn't think I could ever live sober. In fact, um, um, maybe you've had the same thought, but <clears throat> I would look at sober people and be like, I don't know how they do that. I don't know how they go to the grocery store sober. I don't know how they do any of that sober. I remember one time I was at a drug dealer's house and we were sitting outside drinking and I just got some drugs from him to sell, but I wasn't really selling them. He thought I was. I was getting high. And uh, and he he was a big drug dealer, and I remember I remember a guy coming down the street and pulling into his house and getting out of his car and his, he had a little you know just like he just come from an office job somewhere, and I remember the dope man saying I don't know how he does that, I don't know how he gets in the car and goes to work and does the same thing every day you know, and uh, when you said that it just reminded me of of that statement, you know, God has gifted each person that belongs to him with a talent. Some have more than others. I've got one. I'm a one talent guy. And, uh, and I, I know exactly where I'm called to be. 
which is exciting. Yeah. And I'm the guy that gets up and goes to work and does the same thing. You yeah. know, I'm the guy that the dope man was talking about today. And uh, I think it has a lot to do with our identity, knowing who you are in right. Christ. Um, and not, you know, your identity isn't in so much your role or your your calling. It's It's in who you are. Who you are is before what you do, right? It's yep. not what what you do; it's who you are. And so, uh, I almost feel sorry for people who don't know what God has called them to do or where, where God's called them to be, because today, you know, someone who was a homeless junkie, uh, and if you're homeless and you're a drug addict today or struggling with addiction, don't think I'm being mean. I'm talking about me, like someone who was that person, lived that life. Uh, and today, I know this is exactly where I'm supposed to be at. It feels pretty good, doesn't it? It does. It does, because just like you, homeless junkie, no purpose in life. You know, a lot of my identity was attached to sports teams, whether it was semi-pro football or the Chiefs or, um, yeah, I, I never had an identity in Christ until, you know, about 36 years old. But today, I actually have joy. You know, I actually have purpose. I actually have a calling, you know, other than just to wake up and try to get through the day. It's exciting. <clears throat> and so what's your biggest burden today, Kyle? The My biggest burden is the recovery community. You know, it it is seeing the people. Um, and, and, and for those of you that haven't don't know much about Freeway, so we have services uh, <clears throat> Saturday nights at 530 here at a headquarters. And so we, we get people in just absolutely broken. And and I say that as someone who's been there, who's been that broken, who's so emotionally unstable, they cry at the drop of a hat or they're violent. And so we get these people in and I see them in this, they're just stuck, you know, they're stuck in this, this lifestyle they can't get out of. They're stuck in that cycle we talk about and it burdens me, you know, I want to see them get help. And I know, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to say something here, and it's, it's a strong statement, but I know 12 steps didn't help me. I know repeating those steps still felt like bondage to me, but I know that having Christ in me and changing my heart um, has, has given me a freedom from addiction. And I want to see that same thing for all of those that come in here or those of you that are listening that are struggling with addiction. I want to see Christ come in your heart and change it so you don't have to struggle with it every day. And it's exciting to be on the front lines, you know. Uh, I had some brothers from the Independent Baptist Group uh, ask me to do a to prepare a, a TED talk about ministering to hard people, reaching hard people. And uh, you know, we are on the front lines, but there are no easy people. Mm -mm. People are hard. Period. Um, our people group, the ten percent of society, uh, you know. I can't believe I get to do this. Like, to me, this is a, more than I've ever dreamed I could have in life is to be able to have a purpose and minister to people, to help people. Uh, I was just thinking back about last Saturday, which is today's Tuesday, so three days ago. Um, you know, in one night on our outreach, our weekly outreach, someone turned in a box cutter and a railroad spike with a rope tied to it some kind of homeless weapon he created wow. to, to i got a picture of it the security holding it 
gave it up so he could come in here. You know, they sent him with a weapon. They said, hey, you can come in and worship, but you can't have that. And so he gave it up so he could come and worship with us. Wow. And then three people checked into detox. Yep. You know, uh, New Year's Eve, not too long ago, uh, me and Justin, one of our interns, was able to lead a, lead a woman to the Lord. And she, in the middle of her prayer, uh, <laughs> she, she she didn't even know how to pray. But she wanted to receive Christ, you know. Yeah. And uh, she, she uh, I prayed and Justin prayed. And then I said, it's your turn. And the first word was the F word. She said, uh, you want to know how effing serious I am? You want to know? She's talking to God. Yeah. You want to know how effing serious I am? And I opened my eyes and look at her. I'm like, what in, what in the world? And she's got her hand behind her head, and she's wrestling with her hair. It's matted up, uh, matted up, and she's trying to get her hair tie out. And she pulls out her hair tie and her mess in her hair. Mm-hmm. And she says, take this from me. I'm effing done. And I, she tried to give me her meth. This is, she's praying. And uh, and I said, put that meth on the ground. <laughs> I don't want that. Set it down, you know. But we get to do this. Yeah. You know, we get to do this. This is, uh, I never thought life would be like this for me either. Yeah. You know. It's, it's, and one of the, and this is no, this is glory to God alone. One of the three that went, I got to sit down and talk with. And I mean, I told him, I said, brother, I've been as broken as you. You know, he's talking about the relationship, and it's like, I thought I loved her. You know, the old Jerry, I loved her. And you can't love, you can't love anybody until you know the love of Christ. Well, they, love is, isn't. you know, if you ask him to define love, it, it's coming from our background. The f- definition of love would not be true love. No. It would all be emotion and feeling and and all that sensual stuff, but yeah, yeah. it wouldn't be a choice to commit to a person for the rest of your life yeah, for their best, you know? Um, and so as we talk through this, uh, your biggest burden, what hurts you the most? What breaks your heart? Losing people still to this day, losing people is, is, is the hardest in the longer you're in the ministry and you're the recovery ministry the more you lose, um, it doesn't even get any easier. It's almost easier if they leave early, if that makes sense. When you first get them in and they decide to cut loose on you, the pain's not as bad, but it's when you get them in here a couple months and you see that you, you think they're going to finally, you know, pull through it and then they, they leave and, and you've done it longer than I have, but it is, there's a, there's a very, very minute population that leave the recovery at least our ministry, I don't know about others, but leave freeway and don't relapse. It's, it's, there's, there's a couple, we've got a couple hanging around, but majority of the men I'll say, cause I don't know the women, majority of the men who leave the program early relapse within, if not hours, days, and they're right back to, if not where they were a worse point than they were when they came to the program. I mean, we, we deal with, you know, for me, the pain is the kids. You know, that's what hurts me the most is getting attached to the family. And then the the mom or the dad, they leave. And then the kids are, you know, I, they're pretty much feral. I mean, they, 
they're taking care of themselves and surviving. But we know that they're in the dope house. We know that, you know, mom and dad's getting high in front of them. We know that all the dangers of being around drug addicts are in their life. And you just can't do anything about it. You mm -hmm. know, you just have to wait for everything to fall apart. And, of course, you know, you call Division of Family Services. And, you you know, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you listen to this and that makes you mad, then you need to read your Bible because um, we have a duty to protect people and especially the innocent. And um, and so those children, man, they what they go through in the drug house and the dope house and stuff, you know, is, is horrific. Absolutely. And when you get to know them and they call you Paul Paul, and then uh, you know that the mom is gone on dope again, that rips my heart out. So that's my pain. That's what I deal with. Uh, so let me ask you a question. How do you deal with your past loyalties? So I don't really have any. I'll be honest with you. And, and this is my suggestion to anyone coming into it, but anyone that's early into your recovery, do not open your old Facebook. Do not open your old Gmail. Do not open your old phone number. Just start over. So I don't have really anybody from my past. I talked to one guy who's never used in his life. We played semi-pro and coached together. He doesn't drink. He's never used. Uh, it's a chance to share the gospel with him. Other than that, I don't have any of my old any of my people, you know, I, I lost what would be a little brother a couple months ago. And once I got sober and Christ came in my life, I never came back around him, you know? Yeah. And so, um, that's one of those things that, you know, God is sovereign. I don't, and it wouldn't have worked out if I went over there. My ex is living over there. So God actually kept me from that. But yeah, start over. Like if, if you're in recovery, start over. And I'm reminded of the scripture where Jesus they brought Jesus's family to him, biological family, you know, his mom and his brothers. And uh, they said, your family's here to see you. You know, where did where did Jesus spend Passover, you know? Yeah, with with the disciples. Yeah, he yeah. wasn't with his family. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's an event that Jews will always be with their family. So I, I can just see Jesus's mom and his brothers and them, his biological family together, like, where's Jesus at today? Yeah. You know, he was with his disciples. Right. And uh, um, Jesus said this when they brought his mom and his brothers with him to see him, and there was a huge multitude following him. And he said, "Who?" they said, Jesus, your mom's here to see you. Your brothers are here to see you. Those people who you're supposed to be loyal to, basically, is what I'm saying. And Jesus said, who's my mother? Who's my father? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? Those who hear the word of God and do it, that's my family. And... uh I love, I have family members that have the same DNA as me right now, uh, and I love them very much, and I care about them very much. And I have people that I grew up with that I love and care about very much, but my loyalty lies with Jesus. Yeah. And if there's a situation where I have to choose my commitment to God over my commitment to anyone in this world, it's Him. And, and so the Bible says that, uh, you know, bad company corrupts good manners. Yep. And so for me, I've what I've experienced is you think you're going to change that person by being around them that's lost, and the lost person has more of a chance to change you than yeah. you have of changing them. Yep. And I've seen that happen lots of times. And so uh, for me, my past loyalties, how I deal with my past loyalties um, is I share the gospel, 
I, uh, I make sure that I have a choice of the environment that I go into yep. to where I'm not into their environment. I can bring them into mine uh, and I protect myself. Yeah. So, because we're both, what we're one dumb, me and you are both one dumb, dumb decision away from getting high right now. Absolutely. Being right back to where we were. One dumb decision. Paul Tripp says that person you're ministering to is more like you than unlike you. Yep. And so no matter that person that had the railroad spike living under the bridge that we put in detox, he is more like us than unlike us. Yeah. And so we have to realize that. So your local church involvement today, what are you, what are you doing? Where are you serving? So I'm <clears throat> I, with Crossbridge. Uh, when not injured, I'm their full-time worship drummer. I'm also full, their full-time Sunday school teacher there. And then with Freeway, I'm your kind of plug-and-play here. Like, I could be in the media booth. I've been teaching the children uh, the last couple of weeks, altar calls. It's wherever you guys put me. So that's I try to be multifaceted. So whenever we're shorthanded, you guys can just shuffle me around. Are you happy? I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. Yeah, I actually have joy, so... I'm sure you've heard this. The difference between joy and happiness is happiness is temporary and joy is eternal. So I have joy for the first time in my life. Adrian Rogers says happiness depends on what happens. Yep. You know, I know a lot of lost people that got happy if they find a hundred dollar bill laying on the ground. Yeah. Or a bag of dope. You know, and if your car gets in a, someone steals your car and they find it burned in in an alley, I don't care how saved you are. You're not going to be happy. No, no, (laughs) you know, no. Yeah. But one of the things I like to ask people when we when I interview them is I ask them if they're happy because, you know, a lot of times people that come from our background, they, they, they've not been happy in a long, long time. They've not had joy. And so to see them say, think about that and answer, you know, it makes them think, hey, I am happy, you know. I was telling my wife that, um, and I hope this doesn't come out wrong, we're so blessed. Uh, we don't need anything. You know, now we may have some wants. Yeah. But we don't have a need. God's taking care of us. And I remember being at the grocery store and not having enough money. I remember I've done this before. Having my wife at the counter with all of our groceries and then not having enough money to get our groceries and her weeping and breaking down because of embarrassment and me walking my wife out to the car and taking her home and getting a change jar and coming back and getting some milk and bread with the change until we got paid, you know? Yeah. I remember, I remember not being able to buy two gallons of milk. Yeah. And, and so, uh, so grateful for all God's done in my life. And I'm grateful for what he's done in your life, brother. Yeah. It's been transforming. It really has. It's, there's no comparison. I, 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 I couldn't have seen my life here. I don't know where it's going, but I know that um, it's in his hands, and I'm, I'm more comfortable with whatever happens from here than, than I've ever been in my life. So sobriety's not enough. No. Uh, I tell people all the time, and then we're going to close, but, uh, you know, you can be a criminal sober. Yep. And you can be a deadbeat sober. You can be lazy sober. You can beat your wife up sober. You know, uh, you can go to hell sober. And yeah. So sobriety's not enough. Being a fully obedient follower of Jesus Christ, that's that's success with us, and you've done that, and I'm proud of you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity, and and the last thing I'll end on is I went to a handful of NAAA meetings and seeing people with 30 years of sobriety just hardened and miserable. In this ministry, I see sober people just joyous, happy to be here serving, and so that's that's someone who's got eternal life, 
to someone who doesn't and they're both sober. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, if you've enjoyed One Broken Life, would you share it? Uh, share it with someone. Um, you can go to our Facebook page if you haven't liked it and like it uh, and try to get the word out with us. If you, if you uh, want to support One Broken Life, it's a production of Freeway Ministries. You can go to our website at freeway-ministries.com and you can give a gift, a one-time gift, or become a monthly partner with us. So we'll see you next time. Thanks for having me. Yeah.